0: Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Our study today takes us into Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Your daughter and her daughter was healed. The greater context of this passage is found Back in verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. If you see the similar passage in Mark chapter 7, verse 34, we read that Jesus entered a house and he did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as this woman heard about him, uh, she came... Uh, representing her little daughter who was possessed with an impure spirit and she came and fell at his feet. So the context here is a getaway. It's not a simple getaway of Jesus just getting in the boat and crossing Lake Galilee to the other side. This is a big getaway all the way up to the southern part of what we now call modern day Lebanon. So getaways were common For Jesus, we find in Matthew chapter four that he had a retreat with the disciples when John the Baptist was imprisoned. He went from Judea back up to Galilee. Then in Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees are plotting to kill Jesus. So Jesus withdraws from one side of Lake Galilee to the other. And then again in chapter 14, John the Baptist is beheaded. And so jesus withdraws from the west side of galilee to the east side of the sea of galilee and that's where the story picks up there so jesus on the east side of the Gal- galilee lake he finds that the crowd has followed him and not only has the crowd followed him but he actually has an encounter with the pharisees who are offended that jesus is saying that their religion is false That they're obsessed with this outward thing of washing the hands and eating the right food. And he makes this statement that true spirituality is found in discovering that the unclean parts are not the hands and what we eat. The unclean part are the things that come out of our heart. And the, and the disciples say to Jesus, you really offended the Pharisees. This is not a good thing to do. So whether it was out of offending the Pharisees that Jesus withdrew, or if he's continuing this getaway that he attempted to do in chapter 14, we don't know, but we obviously know that the intent of Jesus is to retreat and withdraw and get away for a time alone with his disciples. So let me draw your attention to the map and look at what Jesus did, where he went. So he's over here on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. He makes his way up this valley all the way to the ancient city of Tyre. Here Tyre is in southern Lebanon today. And then afterwards he goes up to Sidon. It's about 20 miles north of Tyre and then he'll make his way all the way back down to Galilee. It seems like a long ways for him to go, but keep in mind, this is about 60 miles up to Tyre from the Sea of Galilee, whereas Jerusalem, where he went often, was 120 miles. So it's not that far in respect to to the uh, city of Jerusalem. So this is where Jesus goes, and no pun intended, we're off the map. Jesus has never gone into a Gentile region. The Galilee area had a mixture. It had a mixture of Jews, but there were primarily Jews living in that region with a few Gentiles. But now he crosses over into a Phoenician land which is entirely Gentile and he goes there with the disciples. And it's a curious thing because where he's entering into is kind of where you and I live. We don't live in in a sacred land. We don't live in a largely religious land. We live, at best, in a post-Christian nation and possibly even an un-Christian land. And so we see Jesus, how he interacts with outsiders, not insiders, when it comes to faith. Just a footnote here. My next trip to Israel, uh, which I hope will happen in the next year or the year after that, we're actually going to fly into Lebanon, Beirut, and we're going to visit these ancient cities of Sidon and Tyre. So we continue in the story, and in verse 22, we find that this Canaanite woman, from that vicinity, she begins to cry out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me, my daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, we feel deeply about this woman and what she's crying out for, but I want you to notice the language she's using is identical to the language of the Jews. The very fact that Matthew calls this woman a Canaanite woman is interesting to me because you'll remember Matthew the gospel was written largely to Jews. Mark was written largely to Gentiles, so Mark calls this woman a Greek, uh, of Greek descent, a Syrophoenician woman. But Matthew uses the curious language, a Canaanite woman. Why? Well, the Jews would understand what a Canaanite woman is. It's not technically talking about her genealogy. It's just that when the Jews went into the land of Canaan, they faced Canaanite people of a different nationality, and they were pagan, worshiping all these other gods, and they had to figure out how are they going to deal with these pagan people. And so the inference is that this woman comes from a different background. She's an outsider, and we're off the map. We don't know how Jesus is going to deal with this woman. So she says, have mercy on me, and the disciples comment about her. Jesus keeps silent, but the disciples say, she's annoying us. This is very similar to the encounter Paul has with a demonized woman in uh, Acts chapter 16, where this woman is crying out over and over, and Paul finally casts the demon out of the woman. Well, it's some kind of annoying thing going on here. Only this woman is not the demonized person. It's her daughter that she's interceding for. And she's annoying just because she's crying out just like the Jews in Galilee cry out with the identical language. Jesus, son of David, she calls him Kurios, Lord, so we are to suppose that she's somehow coming to faith, just like Hagar, the prostitute in the land of Canaan, who is a Canaanite woman who came to faith to believe in the God of Israel. This woman is coming to faith and putting her faith in Jesus. But the big thing here is that her annoyance is driven by her desperation for her daughter, Now, Jesus doesn't say a word. Isn't that interesting that Matthew would include that statement? Now, why? It's similar to the passage in John where Jesus draws in the sand and doesn't say a word. He's just writing in the sand. When we see these pauses, we need to ask ourselves, what's going on? I think Jesus is not answering because He doesn't have an answer. There's a dilemma here. Jesus went away to get alone with his disciples. He went to a foreign city where nobody's supposed to know him. Mark tells us that he rents a room. He, He obtains a room there for them to be alone, to probably have all these rich spiritual discussions. And this woman has discovered Jesus. And she's crying out. We don't know if she's knocking on the door. We don't know if she's yelling from the street. And the disciples see that Jesus isn't saying anything. Why? My guess is that he's trying to figure this out. His heart is torn. These are the very people he loves to heal. He loves to minister to. But he doesn't want to have mission drift. Those of you in the corporate world, you know that term, mission drift where you start out, you're going to sell hamburgers, but before you know it, you're selling burritos, and you're selling fudge and cheesecake, and and you're just doing all kinds of things, and you forget what you started out to do. And Jesus has come up to Tyre to have this alone retreat to refocus on what they're really called to do, and he's primarily called to reach the Jews. That was the mission to reach the Jews if they reject him and crucify him then he understands that is what's going to happen but the gospel is then going to go out to the rest of the world including Gentiles Matthew 24 go into all the world Jesus says in John 10 that I have other sheep that are not of this flock he's referring to Gentiles But presently, he's not doing that yet, and he's trying to figure out, I believe, in the silence, what the Father wants him to do. He only speaks what the Father is saying. He only uh, does what the Father is doing, and he's waiting for that clarity. But the disciples are upset. So this Gentile thing is going to not just end here, but it's going to continue on in the book of Acts where Peter, uh, the apostle, has to wrestle one more time about the gospel going to the Gentiles and how much the Gentiles are expected to do and be in terms of the, their conversion to Jesus, or do they have to first proselytize to Judaism? becoming circumcised, using, eating all of the kosher food and following all of the cleansing laws and so forth and so on, or can they directly go to Jesus and become a follower of Jesus? That becomes a big deal. So now we come to chapter 20, uh, verse 25 where it, it begins to emerge the desperation of this woman. And this is where I really want to bear down Verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. Now, we don't know, did they open the door and Jesus step out in the threshold? Or did she just knock, knock, knock until they opened the door and she came in? Or did Jesus finally step out onto the street? We're not told. But what we are told, that she is kneeling physically, literally, right before jesus saying again kurios lord help me and in the dilemma he repeats his mission he says it is not right for me to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs now that's offensive to us anytime you say something like that and you call people dogs as much as we like our pets we're offended but Please, don't be offended. Jesus is using an idiom that was common in those days that you give what is proper for the person that you're giving it to. And here, a mother gives her food to her children. And it would be offensive for a mother to feed the dog first or to feed the dog the children's food. And Jesus is just using an idiom to say, I need to stay on my mission which was to come and give a shot, give a a chance to the nation of Israel. But this woman's retort is the thing that, that grabs Jesus. Listen to what she says. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Wow, what is she saying here? She's saying that I'll just take the crumbs. Your crumbs are so powerful. Your crumbs are so full of mercy. Your crumbs are so full of life. I'll just take the crumbs. It will be enough to heal my daughter. Wow. So I love this woman's persistence. There's cases in scripture where Jesus is affirming persistence an entire chapter later in the gospel about the importance of persistent prayer jesus says in another passage keep knocking keep seeking this idea of intense longing let's talk about this for a moment oftentimes you and i have heard uh, some pastor or teacher say that we all have a god-shaped void in our heart. And I think it's true. It's a great metaphor for us to think about the longing. But here's often what happens. We fill that longing with other things. We, we fill it with success. We fill, fill it with uh, uh, the accolades we get from people because of our our appearance, our beauty, our looks, our achievements, or we begin to make that hole even bigger by trying to fill it with addictions, substances, things that begin to make the hole fester and become deeper and deeper and deeper. But often in a land of plenty, like America, we forget about the longing. Well, sometimes something happens in our life that we can't avoid. In this case, it was the woman's daughter. she couldn't let it go. Here's the doctor. There's the sickness. He can fix it if he wants to. And he's never coming back to Tyre again. And so she begins to pester and fester and cry out to Jesus. And, And Jesus actually ends up affirming that. You know, the Old Testament says a lot of good things about longing and crying out. And the word I would use is Desperation. Desperation is a good thing. When we become desperate, we do often desperate things. And it's because we've moved past our resources. I don't know what else to do, so therefore I'm desperate. Think of Hannah praying to God for a child. What can she do? She can't impregnate herself. She's crying out to God to make this miracle happen that hasn't been working uh, with her husband. Uh, She's crying out to God to become her fertility doctor. How about David when he's crying out for forgiveness in Psalm 51 after his huge sin with Bathsheba? No one else can forgive David. He's crying out to God. Or how about Jacob when he's wrestling with the angel? And he finally says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I am desperate. I know who you are now, and I'm desperate for your blessing on my life. So let's push pause. It's a good question. Are you desperate for Jesus? Too often we think, well, I checked the box, I prayed the prayer, I'm going to heaven, and now I'm just going to live my life however I want. And we lose that sense of desperado for Jesus. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, right there at the beginning in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed or oh how happy are the poor in spirit. It's a good thing when we're poor in spirit, it's a good thing. And actually, we're never to leave that stance of always longing for Jesus more and more. I think that longing or hunger is a gift, I do. I think that spiritual hunger is a gift, that many people, when they come to Christ or they begin to just even explore spirituality, there's just a tinge of hunger. But if they'll take a step towards the Lord, more hunger begins to appear. In fact, you and I can actually pray, God, give me more hunger. I'm so complacent. I'm so apathetic. I'm so satisfied with just the humdrum of life. Make me hungry for you. As much as we're hungry to get out of COVID, as much as we're hungry to get back to normal, what if we were hungry for God? So it's a great thing. So this poverty of spirit, this longing, is coming from the woman, and Jesus sees it. Now here's the resolution. Woman, you have great faith oh, don't you love it? He actually likes now the fact that she was so annoying, persistent, wanting Jesus. And he says, in affirmation, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Your daughter is healed. He has crossed over this racial barrier, this this mission drift. And he said, you know what? I I can't not stop from healing you because of your great faith. And he he grants her her request. So there's three messages buried in here. I want you to notice all three. The first one is, it's a message about brokenness. It's a message about desperation and faith. So where is your faith? Where is your desperation, your brokenness, your longing? Let's pray for more. Secondly, it's a message about Jesus' ministry being more than just to the Jews. We are seeing a glimpse that it is also gonna be to the Gentiles, and it actually ends up being fulfilled, uh, not only in, at the end of Jesus' ministry, but on into the book of Acts, and we have that today where the whole idea is with Jesus, there's to be no outsiders. Just because they don't look like you or look like me or, or speak the same language or eat the same food, it doesn't matter. There's no outsiders. That the gospel is for everybody. And the unity uh, that exists in the church is supposed to be jew and Gentile, because Paul says there is now neither Jew nor Gentile. We are all one interracially in Christ. And then the third message embedded in this passage is just the realization of God's big heart for you and for me. This take home of Jesus having a big heart is so vital because that's why we seek him. That's why we allow ourselves to become desperate for him because it's not falling on deaf ears. I want to read this verse to you from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, verse 12 and 13. Listen to this. Then you will call on me. When? (laughs) Well, the passage is talking about a situation where Israel will become so desperate for God that then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. The next verse says it all. You will seek me and find me. When? that interrogative when defines it all when you seek me with all your heart so the question is how desperate are you for jesus how much do you need jesus it's not it's not a theological question it's an experiential question when you look inside how satisfied and how content and how complacent are you and I, or how desperate are we for more? As I shared last week, I expected the church to come out of COVID so desperate for God, but we got caught up in this horizontal vibration of, I'm right, you're wrong, and I hope you do this, and I don't agree with you on that, and we've missed the whole point, that we have to have our opinions, but that is not the basis of our life. Our basis of our life is crying out to Jesus, And this is a time, this is maybe a preceding revival time where we are actually uh, crying out to God from the depth of our being. Do you remember the verse, the psalm that says, deep calls to deep? I love that verse because it feels like the deepest part of me is calling out for the deepest part of him. But you could also say, Shallow calls to shallow. You want a little bit of Jesus, you get a little bit of Jesus. You need a lot of Jesus, you get a lot of Jesus. It's the sick, Jesus said, that seek a doctor, and we desperately need Dr. Jesus. How about that old joke, that whole old story that came out, I don't know, 20 years ago, where this person falls off a cliff. And they catch themselves on some branch coming out of the edge of the cliff, and they begin to cry out and say, Help, help, is anybody there? And they hear a voice that says, Yes, let go and I'll catch you. The person looks down a hundred feet, thinks about it, and says, Who are you? He says, I'm God. Let go and I'll catch you. They look down, they think about it some more, and they cry out, is anybody else up there? I think it's a humorous way to think of our, our lives that oftentimes we really don't want God <laughs> to be the ultimate answer. We just want these other things to be fixers in our lives. But if not now, when? This is the time to seek the Lord. This is the time to be desperate for God. It's it's when we come to the end of our rope that we say, oh Jesus, not just heal my daughter, but heal me, heal the church, heal our land, come and bring your presence. When we seek him with all of our heart, his promise is you will find me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this encounter with Jesus, to see this woman who is desperate for her daughter's healing, and to see, Jesus, that you responded as we expect you would. And so, Lord, here we are. We want to enter into that same encounter. We want to be that woman who's crying out to you, God we bring to you the things of our lives that are broken. We bring to you our marriages. We bring to you those of us without jobs. We bring to you those of us with broken hearts who have lost loved ones. We bring to you broken bodies. And even this woman, we bring to you parts of our, our lives or others that have been influenced by demonic beings of evil, that have brought us into temptation or into uh, seduction or into uh, addiction. God, we cry out to you and we especially cry out for the church in America. This resourceful church, this church that has it all but is in desperate need for you. This church that is so often right and so often wrong. And I think of the church in Revelation you think you have it all, but you are blind, wretched, poor, and naked. And God, we don't even know how desperate we are for you. But on your promise from Jeremiah, when we seek you with all of our heart, that we will find you, we cry out to you, Lord. And we cry out, and we won't stop crying out, because we need you, Jesus. We need you to come into our life and forgive us. We need you to fill us and empower us with your Holy Spirit. We need you to cleanse our mind from our stinking thinking. And we need you, God, to establish us as not darn right Pharisees, but as, as needy people, poor in spirit, coming to you humbly to follow you. So come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.